a bit of a warning. Uh, this sermon is more of a sermon between sermons. In, in fact, when I was initially, when I looked at the schedule, I thought that I got next week's sermon, the wrestling sermon, and I was all jacked. And then I realized, no, I didn't. I got this week's sermon. I was looking at it. I'm like, I get that? That's a mess. Like, this, this sermon is going to be unresolved and messy. This sermon may, may not feel good, and that's okay. That's okay. Uh, I want to back up and get a bit of a running start, though. So we left last week talking, introduced to this person of Jacob. And last week we wanted to talk about uh, the good, we wanted to redeem Jacob and the Jacobs of the world. Uh, those people who are always manipulating and striving and looking for an edge. Uh, this is the way God has made them. This week, however, we're going to see the dysfunction of Jacob. We're going to see what it looks like when our design becomes dysfunctional. When we believe in the wrong story, when we try to make things happen and it doesn't work. So to get a bit of a running start, if you recall, Jacob initially stole uh, manipulated his brother to sell him the birthright. And we could blame Esau for that. Like that Esau knew what he was getting into. He knew the agreement. But anyway, he, we introduced to Jacob taking the birthright. And then later, years later, Rebecca manipulates her son Jacob because her, the mom wants to control the story as well into deceiving Jacob's father, her husband, because he's blind now, he can't see well. And so Jacob is going to deceive his dad and steal his older brother's blessing as well. And blessings are a big deal. There, there's this almost mystical aspect to them. You can't just give it and take it back. You can't give someone one blessing, blessing A, and also give blessing A to someone else. You can't do that. So Jacob lies to his dad, steals his older brother's blessing. And when his older brother realizes what Jacob does, he lifts up his voice and cries aloud. Isaac trembles violently because this is such a big deal. And Esau is now planning on killing his brother. Like he's not just mad. He's not just angry. He's going to kill him. And this is not like hyperbole. He's going to kill him. And so now Jacob has to run. Before Jacob runs though, there's this one last conversation that Jacob and his dad has, and I want to pick it up from here, Gen Gen uh, Genesis 28. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Now, we think of blessings as being happy occasions, and they should be. This is not happy. Like, J Isaac is not happy with his boy. This is not a good moment. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go once to Padam Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham. Which I don't think, by the way, Jacob was wanting. I don't think he wanted that calling. So that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. At the beginning of the story, we're introduced to Jacob, who's always striving and conniving. He's trying to get something. He's always trying to get something. 
And now because he got what he wanted, he now has to run for his life. And we pick it up with that in Genesis 29. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. He didn't, just so you know, he, didn't go, he doesn't go all the way back to like the area of Babylon. He goes to about the top of the fertile, uh, the fertile crescent around the area of Haran, where Terah and his family stopped and paused and lived before Abraham later picked it up and then went all the way back to Canaan. So there, he's kind of at that top area where he has some relatives. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from the well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. So they're waiting for Rachel and her sheep to come so they could water them. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. And I want to just pause for a second. Because we've heard this story before. Something similar. We remember that Abraham sent his servant to go get a wife for Isaac. And the servant comes to a well and he has ten camels. And he prays that God would bless him on this journey. That whoever, whatever woman comes up, he would ask her to give him a drink, and then she would freely offer to, feed, to water the camels as well. This story is a little bit different. Uh, this time it's not a servant. It's Jacob himself. He goes to a well in the same land, and a woman approaches. But instead of the woman watering the camels, the man waters the sheep. So we see some similarities, but then something, something different happens. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. This is not a good cry. This is not like... We sometimes think like Jacob sees Rachel and he's just so overcome with love that he just bawls. I don't know if you've ever seen that in a romantic movie. I haven't. Like the first time they make eye contact, <laughs> uh, it, this is not what's going on here. It's not. Why is Jacob crying? To understand why Jacob is crying, you have to understand the last time we read these words. When Jacob stole the blessing from Esau, Esau does the same thing. In the Hebrew, it's the same wording. He weeps aloud. And from there, Jacob has to flee. He has to run. And when he comes to this land, we read later, he has nothing. If you remember, Abraham sends his servant with 10 camels full of gold rings and nose rings and just like full of possessions because there's this exchange that happens in this culture when you want to marry someone. You give a dowry to the family. Jacob has nothing. He meets a woman that he could and wants to marry, and there's by, he has no means to do it. He got what he worked for, and he has nothing. So let's keep going. Oh, go back. i got to finish that one. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father, 
As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. And so it's at this point that I want to stop and I want to introduce a theme that's going to come out in this story. There's a word that is going to show up over and over and over again. And when that happens in Scripture, especially when it's a unique word, a word that really hasn't shown up before, we have to pay attention because this word has something to do with the purpose and the meaning behind the story. And the word is wage. It's sahar in the Greek. A little bit more phlegm than that. Wage, what you earn, what you pay, what you work for. And the first time it shows up is right after this story, right after this verse. And it says this. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me your wages, what your wages should be. And this word is going to show up over and over and over again. This time that Jacob spends away from his family running, staying away from his family in the situation that he just caused, is all going to be about what Jacob is going to work for, what he's going to try to earn, what he's going to try to make happen for himself. So in response to Laban's question, tell me your wage. What is it that I should pay you? Jacob sees an opportunity to get what he wants, and he wants Rachel. So he says, let me work for you for seven years. At the end of the seven years, let me marry Rachel. And Laban seems to agree to the story. He seems to agree to that. At the end of seven years, Jacob goes to Laban and says, give me my wife. So they have the wedding festival, and under the covering, Laban doesn't send in Rachel. He sends in Leah, and Leah is covered, so he doesn't know. And so they sleep together to consummate the wedding, Jacob wakes up the next day, and it's not the woman he thought he married, which I think we would be ticked. Am I right? Like, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's a seven-year courtship, and at the last minute, your father-in-law switches the one you want to marry for, your, for her sister. Like, that's a big deal. So Jacob comes to Laban, understandably a little bit ticked, and he comes to Laban and says, dude, what the heck, it's in the Hebrew, basically. Laban says this, Laban says, you need to go read it, Laban says this, I don't know what you do in your country, but in our land, we don't take from the older to give to the younger. Do you see what he just did? That's a full on like, I don't know what you did where you're from, but we don't take from the older just to benefit the younger. That's, that's stung. And what happens in this story is that Laban tricks Jacob. The trickster got out-tricked. The manipulated got out-manipulated. The usurper got usurped. For the first time, Jacob tastes his own medicine. And this is what this story is going to be all about. What you work for is what you will get. What you reap is what you will sow. So Jacob works for another seven years, and it says because of his love for Rachel, it seemed like just for a few days. And everyone goes, oh. So after another seven years, 14 total, Jacob marries Rachel. Now, this this word wage comes up again, and it's going to come up several times. But before we get there again, there's this weird situation. Put yourself in Jacob and Rachel and Leah's shoes. 
We, we know that Leah wasn't as pretty as Rachel. How do you feel if you're Leah? The only way you got married is that your dad tricked this guy. Tell me there's not some baggage there. And so Leah marries Jacob first. And now the thing that Leah has that Rachel doesn't have is Leah can produce children. And so Leah finds her encouragement in this. And every time she has a child, she names it a specific name. And every time she has a child, she hopes and she prays that she gets the approval of her husband, that her husband would finally love her. Imagine if you're Rachel in this situation. How do you feel about your dad and Leah for that matter? And then once you finally marry Jacob, the, the love of your life, you can't have a child. Some of us know what that's like. And so in the midst of this unhealthy situation where uh, Rachel has this idea, if I can't have a child, I'll give my female servant to my husband. We've heard that story before, haven't we? This is just a repetition of things in the past, of the story yet again de-escalating. And so Rachel gives her servant to Jacob, and he agrees. Has children, Rachel finds some solace in that. Leah, on the meantime, her womb has closed. She can't have any more kids. So Leah follows suit with Rachel, and Leah gives her servant to Jacob. Here, have some kids. Talk about brothers from another mother. <laughs> like, this is a mess. This is a mess. And Jacob's in the middle of it. Like, tell me there's not some baggage here. Now, just in case you think you can't relate to this story, some of us have spent seven years in a, in a marriage, and we woke up one day looking at our spouse to realize we don't recognize who they are anymore. We've spent seven years in a relationship, and at the end of the seven years, we say, this is not what I bargained for. Does that hit home for anyone? Some of us have grown up in a family with four mothers. My, my, my Mother's Day post today, I had a tag, three, three moms, and then my, mo my wife as well. Like, I love my moms. Desperately love them. I love my family. You diss my family, I'll rip you apart. I love them, but there is some baggage in my family. Like, I kind of relate to this story a little bit, I think. I understand what it's like to reap what you sow, to work so hard to control the story and for it to only fall apart in your hands. The, the working and the wages that Jacob so strives for, his family follows suit. Uh, let's jump into this next passage. So uh, Leah's first son, Reuben, goes out into the fields. He gathers some mandrakes. They're, they're roots, basically. And Rachel says, hey, give me, she says to Leah, give me some of your son's roots. Leah says, you've taken my husband away from me. Are you also going to take my son's roots away? And so Rachel says, tell you what, you give me the mandrakes. I'll let you sleep with Jacob because that's healthy. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went up to meet him. You must sleep with me. Remember, Leah's womb is closed. She said, I have hired you. It's, this, it's from the same root word. I have paid a wage for you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. 
Then Leah said, God has rewarded me. It's not rewarded, it's paid, it's wage. For me giving my servant to my husband. She named him Issachar. What, what Jacob does, trying to earn and prove his worth, striving and conniving, trying to control the story, trying to build up who he is, his family follows suit. First with his wives trying to compete and earn his favor. It wouldn't be surprising if his sons do it later. He has multiple sons through multiple wives, multiple women. And at the end of 14 years, when Joseph is born, when Rachel finally has her only child, Jacob says it's time to run. It's time to flee. And Laban, because Laban is Jacob, because Jacob is what Laban was at one point, Laban has to control the situation. Laban has to manipulate. Laban has to make sure he, gain, he keeps control of his family. So Laban approaches Jacob, and he basically says this. Name your wages, and I will pay them. So Jacob has this plan then. He's like, all right, I worked for 14 years to get your two daughters. This is my plan. This is what I think we should do. So let's read that one. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. That's his plan. And my honesty will testify for me in the future whenever you check on the wages you have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted any, or any lamb that is not dark-colored will be considered stolen. So basically he says, I've been working your herds for the past 14 years and I've done a good job. Let me take all the discolored, the ones with marks, the spotted, the speckled, the dark, let me take those. Those will be my wage. And Laban looks at his flocks and goes, there's not a lot of them. Sure, sure, I'll agree with that. And so these are going to be the, these are going to be the, the, they're going to be the goats and the sheep that Jacob gets to keep at the end of this deal. But Laban, before Jacob can go to the flocks to do this, Laban goes ahead of him and he removes all the dark the spotted, the streaked, the colored lambs, sheep, and goats. He removes them before Jacob can. And he sends them three days away. Like he outtricks Jacob yet again. Now what Jacob does next is up for debate what he's trying to do. And it's weird and we're not going to get into it. Uh, there's these weird things with sticks and troughs and whatnot. We don't know if Jacob understands recessive genetics. We don't understand. We also know that there's this vision he gets from God that God says the goats that are speckled and spotted and streaked and the, as well as the sheep will, will prosper and multiply. We don't know if he's trusting in God, or if he's trying to make it happen himself. We don't know. But whatever we, what, what we do know is that God works through the situation as well as Jacob is trying to make it happen himself. But at the end, at the end of six ye more years of working, which means Joseph is at least six at this point. So consider how much older the other boys are. At the, e at the end of this process, Jacob's herds have grown in such number that they overtake Laban's herds. And you know what Jacob is thinking. It's at this point we pick it up with this story. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. Jacob has been in this spot before. He took everything from someone else. He knows what's coming. He, he's going to run. 
And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. And notice that God shows up right at this moment, right when Jacob wants to run, right when Jacob wants to flee. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, Esau and Isaac, and I will be with you. It's at the moment that Jacob wants to run that God says, go home. And that is not comforting to Jacob. That is terrifying to Jacob. He knows what's home. He knows what conversations he has to have. He knows what they feel about him, what they think about him. He's been avoiding that moment for 20 years now. So Jacob went to Rachel and Leah, sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what, is, what, what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me, which, by the way, is a change in Jacob's attitude. He's starting to realize that God's been working the whole time. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. So we've only seen a few examples in the story. We know it's been happening a lot. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. And Rachel, you would think, so he goes to Rachel and Leah, Laban's daughters, and says, hey, we're going to leave. What do you think? You know what Rachel and Leah say? Absolutely. Our father has taken everything away from us. Laban is who Jacob could be. Laban is exactly what Jacob could be. And Jacob is who Laban once was. Jacob meets his match, and he sees what it's like to work for your own wages, to prove to yourself and to everyone else what you're worth, to control the situation, to control others, to fight, to strive, to connive, and to manipulate. And he's in yet another situation where he has to run from family yet again. And so they run. They trick Laban, it says. And they get on the road and they get to Gilead. They get almost all the way back home, but then they stop. After three days, Laban finally realizes that they ran. And what he does is he gets all of his kinsmen, all of his able men together. And they go in pursuit for seven days. And they overtake him, it says. Now, right before they overtake him, God tells Laban, don't you dare say a a bad or good thing to him. And so when Laban overtakes them, you can imagine the imagery, like the army comes around them and overtakes them. Laban says, what is, it, what is this that you have done? Why did you do this? But then in typical Laban fashion, like he's the cheap, dirty car salesman, he says, if you would have told me that you, would have, that you were going to leave, I would have, we would have given you songs and myrrh. And Jacob knows that's not true because Jacob is Laban. He knows exactly what Laban would have done. It's at this point that we pick up in the conversation. Jacob said, this is Jacob now. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. 
This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night and slept fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, who's that? Who's his dad? Isaac. And the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me. I want to stop here for a moment, make a couple observations. This marks a, a change in Jacob's life. He realizes that God has been working for him. That he doesn't have to do all this work himself. And we'll talk more about that here in a bit. But I want to call your attention to the way he refers to God here. First, he calls God the God of his father, which is Isaac. Then he says it's the God of Abraham. But notice this other phrase, the fear of Isaac. You can imagine that scholars like to debate what he means here. And there's a few different interpretations. Let me give you the one I like because I think it fits best with the story. Recall a few weeks ago when we talked about what Isaac went through on the mountain as Abraham about sacrificed him. How we talked about there might, might have been this trauma and this fear. In fact, in the story, the word fear shows up. I wonder if Jacob grew up under Isaac seeing his dad fear God. I wonder if he grew up under a dad who favored his older brother. And Jacob said, I'm not going to have this. This is not what I want. I want something else for me. To, to call God the fear of Isaac is telling about his perception of who God is at this moment. But it's also at this same moment that I think Jacob realizes that he's been running from this fear all along. And that it's the same fear that he's, been, that he's fed off of to control and to manipulate the situation. All right, let's keep going. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. Uh, he's finally realizing God is on his side. Next slide. Laban answered Jacob. Notice what Laban says here. The women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All that you see is mine. Laban's so consumed with what is his, what belongs to him, and he's desperately trying to control it. And if it wasn't for God stepping into the situation, he would have done exactly what Jacob said. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine, about the children they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone. Notice who, set, notice who sets up the stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, his boys, by the way, gather some stones. So they took the stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate by the heap. Laban called it Yagar Sahodutha. I think that's how you say it. We'll pretend. And Jacob called it Gilead. They call it two different names. They're still wrestling each other. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. That is why it was called Gilead. It was also called Mitzpah, a third name. Because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters or if you take any wives beside my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, here's the heap and here's the pillar I have set up between you and me. He, he claims credit for it. This heap is a witness. You, do you see how Jacob's seeing himself and Laban? 
He's seeing what the dysfunction of his character could become. And this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father, Isaac. And he offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. This story is a mess. We, be, we picked it up with Jake, Jacob running for his life because of his own mistakes. We end this week with Jacob running for his life yet again. It's this transition between stories that we find ourselves this week. And I bet many of us find ourselves also in transition. Well, we're not sure what the next chapter is. We're not sure what, what's next. And, and, and I want to be clear. This story is not about them or about the other person or about the person you think that needs to hear this. The story is about you. You. It's about me. Because the only common denominator in all the relationships that I have is me. And so if all my relationships are unhealthy, if all my own relationships are untrusting and conniving and manipulative and there's this baggage and this hurt and this disgust, if all my relationships are like that, guess who the problem probably lies with? Me. And I think this is the moment that Jacob is in. He has worked so hard to get what he wanted, and he got exactly that. He has his possessions and his herds and his people. He has his wives and his kids, and he is not content. I cannot help but to think of Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. And I think this is the lesson Jacob is learning and he's learning that the gift of God is eternal life. It's the same story from the beginning that we've all been trying to learn. And I know it's hard. And it's unresolved and it's messy. And God's message to most of us, if not all of us, is go home. That conversation you've been putting off for 20 years. Go home. The people you've hurt and you've wronged, go ask for forgiveness. And it's hard because you know you don't deserve it, but you want to earn your wage and prove your worth. Stop it. Go home. I don't know what lies for you there. I don't, know, I don't know who you've hurt, who you've damaged, what you've done wrong. I don't know what's facing you when you cross that river and finally face your brother, your mother, your father, your sister, your husband, your wife, your coworkers. Your, I don't know what faces you. God says, go home. And you may have been running for 20 years and you got everything you worked for and you know it's not what life really is about. And I'm sure that preaches to no one. I'm sure none of us have our careers and our bank accounts and our clothing and our car and we wake up every morning wondering why we do this yet again. Go home. We're going to work towards communion. So if you're serving, please go ahead and head on back. We want to let you know that our communion 
is an open one, which means if you want to celebrate the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, please do so with us, your family. There's always a spot for you. We ask so that everyone holds on to the elements until the end. That way we can wrestle with some implications. Implication number one, God wants to be our wage. I told you this word doesn't show up a lot in this story. It shows up one time before this story, though. It's when Abraham goes to save Lot from the kings of the north that came down and took all these cities captive and took all their possessions and ran away with them. Abraham goes and pursues. He overcomes the kings. He takes back all the possessions. He comes back and he gives all the possessions back. He takes none of it for himself. He makes sure everyone else is taken care of, but he gives it all away, not like Jacob. And so after he fought this battle and after he gives away all the reward, God says in Genesis 15, I will be your shield and I will be your wage. We translate it reward there, it's wage. This is the lesson Jacob has to learn. What do you want to be paid? Do you want to trust me or do you, want to, do you only want to get what you work for? Implication number two, there's nothing we can teach the world about the economy of deserving it. I went and visited my brother yesterday. And um, if you know me or if you've been on my Facebook page, you know what he's going through. And he said to me yesterday, I wish you could see me on a good day because I don't, des- because you, I don't deserve this. And he, this, he means the, the help that my, me and my wife and my family have given him the financial support that we're raising for him. He doesn't deserve this. Yeah. You don't need to earn it. Our world knows this story. We know this life. We know how to live this way. We know what it's like to strive to be pretty enough, strong enough, capable enough, wise enough to be right all the time. We know what it's like to deserve it. And that is not the story God is trying to tell. The story God is trying to tell is one of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that's why forgiveness is so terrifying. Because for once in your life, you have to stop and say, I'm sorry. And you're at the mercy of someone else. Third implication. You can either get what you work for or you can accept God's plan as his best gift. Not his easy one, not his comfortable one, but as his best gift for you. It's at the end of the story, after Laban leaves, after Jacob has successfully gotten rid of Laban, he stands on the other side of the river and he's waiting to go home. And he knows what he's about to face. He's about to face his brother Esau, the mighty man, the hunter, the man he took everything from. The man who last he saw him wanted to kill him. He's about to face his father that sent him away with nothing. And he has no idea what he's about to face. He doesn't know if his brother's going to attack him. He doesn't know if he's going to have to go to war. And at this moment, Jacob is wrestling with what it is. that he's, How he's going to handle this next story. How he's going to handle this next chapter. And the lights fade off. The scene cuts out and we're left with to be continued. I don't know what it is that you have to face. But unless you're willing to face it, 
unless you're willing to jump into the unresolved mess of your life that maybe some of us, we have created. Unless you're willing to go to this point in the story, you will never find resolution. And forgiveness is hard. To ask for forgiveness is hard. And it's probably going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. To admit you're wrong and to put yourself at the mercy of someone else saying, I've blown it and I'm sorry. And for many of us, it's going to be the first time in our life that we stop trying to control the story and proving who we are and how much we're right and how much other people are wrong. And for the first time, just to let it go and to exist in the mercy of someone else. It hurts. It feels like death. It feels like a cross and a burden. But in the end, it brings life. And I can't promise how it's going to work out for you. And I can't promise that Esau is going to greet you with open and welcome arms. I can't promise that your dad's going to be totally fine with you. I can't promise you that it's going to work out well. I can promise you God will be with you in that moment as the chapter ends and a new chapter begins. And we remember that our Savior, on the night he was betrayed by someone closest to him, took the bread and he broke it, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Whenever we eat this, we remember, let's remember. Then he took the cup, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And whenever we drink this, we remember, let's remember. Father, I want to thank you for who you are. That you're not, a, you're not a God who tells stories about everything working out hunky-dory. You're not a God who is willing just to sweep things under the rug. You're not a God who just wants to move on. You're the God of the mess. You're the God of the night. You show up on the unresolved stories and the darkest chapters of our life. And it's in those moments that you bring light it's in those moments that you bring comfort. And it's in those moments where it feels like everything is nothing but despair and failure and guilt and shame that you bring love and forgiveness and joy and comfort. May we, whatever our next chapter might be, may we plunge into that transition of our life. And may we go home back to you and the people in our life. May we stop earning what we want and trust in the gift that you have to give. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com. <laughs>